Um, the reading for today is taken from 1 Corinthians 1, verses 10 to 17. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was, Christ, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sadie. If you can keep your Bibles open. Um, if you don't have your Bibles with you, there are these sheets uh, that are printed out uh, for you. Do take it. It also has the sermon outline there as well. And uh, for those of you who don't know, we actually put all the sermons online um, as well. So if you miss a uh, um, service and things, you can always check it out there. But let me pray for us that God will speak to us through this passage. Lord, we thank you that you've sent your son Jesus to die for us. And not just to die for us, but to unite us as one humanity under the lordship of Jesus. And Lord, we want to be one. Uh, as you, your Father, Son, and the, the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. And we pray that you'll use these words to make Shatin Church one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Say that if you're a church consultant um, and you came to a church, the church in Corinth and you saw all these problems, these are some of the problems uh, that the Corinthian church was facing. A man is sleeping with his stepmom. Members are suing each other. Church is divided amongst leadership. Some don't think there's anything wrong with visiting prostitutes. Some actually don't believe in the resurrection. There are many other problems in this church, but these are some of the problems that they were facing. Now, if you are the church consultant to this church, which one would you want to address first? There are many pressing issues here. <laughs> but... I hope you're not surprised in some way that, uh, that Paul addresses the issue of church unity first. It's not just the first uh, issue that he addresses. It's the one that he spends a lot of time on, most time on. Ch- chapters 1 through 4, all four chapters actually address this topic of church unity. But why is it so important that we be one? Well, remember, Jesus prayed for our unity that we all may be one because our oneness, which is another way of saying our love for each other, glorifies God. It shows God's love to the world. And the opposite is also true. If we quarrel with one another, if we fight, it dishonors God. It brings shame to the name of Jesus. So 
Paul here, as he starts this letter, says we need to strive for unity. In order to do that, we also need to look beyond our leaders, our churches, our strengths and weaknesses, and look to Jesus. And we can only do that, really, if Jesus becomes everything for us. So strive for unity Look beyond the leaders and continue to go back to the gospel. Well, Paul starts out this section by writing this verse, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, that all of you agree with one another. One another. There be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Another translation says, I beg of you. I beg of you to strive for unity in this way. What does it mean for us to be perfectly, perfectly united in our mind and thought? Does it mean that we need to all agree on what the best way to sleep train our kids is or what the best movie in the world is or what football team we should support? Of, of course not. These things are not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about our identity in Jesus, what makes us one in the most fundamental way. Take a look in verse 10. There, you'll find that little phrase, brothers and sisters. You'll see it again in verse 11. In 1 Corinthians, in this short letter, he will use it 35 times. He'll say brothers and sisters again and again and again. More than any other book in the Bible, brothers and sisters again and again in this divided church because he wants to remind them that they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And no matter where they were from, what kind of background or whatever, out of Corinth, God had called them, called them out from the world and made them one in Christ as brothers and sisters in Christ, the citizens of God's kingdom, brothers and sisters, members of the same household. That's who we are. He's reminding us again and again, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are the church. Well, what makes the church? What actually makes us one? I don't know what you hold uh, to be the most important thing in your life, most important truth. Well, later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul will write this. For I re- what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the thing, the, 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 what, what he received is of first importance. This is the most important thing in the Christian faith. I don't know if you can think of yourselves in different layers. Uh, who am I in my sort of outer word, uh, outermost layer? Well, I'm just, I guess I'm, I'm uh, Korean-American. I wear these uh, glasses. I like badminton. I like... Uh, these days, I'm addicted to Switch, um, Breath of the Wild. That's sort of the outermost um, layer. If you go a little bit more, maybe my friends. You know, things that I, uh, um, my, my friends, like my interest, um, maybe um, yeah, my ethnicity. If you go a bit deeper, you might say that there are certain values that I hold or certain uh, relationships that define me. My relationship with my parents, my, my wife, Mary, and my kids. These are very, very important to me. But at the very core of who I am is Jesus. 
At the very core of who I am is this belief in Jesus' death and resurrection, that when he died and rose again, and when I came to trust in him as my Savior, that I was reborn as a Christian, that all the other identities are secondary, and this one will affect everything, all my views, all my relationships, all the things, that I, all the ways in which I live. This is at the core of who I am. And if you are a Christian, this is at the core of who you are. Because you consider this belief and this relationship with Jesus as the most fundamental part of who you are. And that makes you and I brothers and sisters in Christ. That makes us members of the same church, members of the same household. And that's why we strive for unity, because that's what Jesus came to do, to make us one in him. We certainly aren't completely united in Shatin Church, but as I look back at my past 10 years um, here, I am really thankful. I'm really thankful for all of you. Uh, for all of you who have actually, uh, uh, who really tried to be one in Shatin Church, because certainly we don't agree on everything, do we? There are certain parts of some certain members of the church who would love to see more emphasis on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are certain members of the church actually who don't really quite agree with uh, baptizing infants. There, in terms of denominational loyalty, actually not that many of you actually call yourselves Anglicans. And yet, despite our preferences, despite our differences, I thank God for all of you because you have made the effort to be one. Because you consider me and the brothers and sisters here, brothers and sisters in Christ, a family together in God, and that we can do great things for God's glory as we count this fact that we are born and we have died and risen again with Jesus as the most important fact about who you are and important fact about one another here in this church. So I thank you so much for making that effort, for striving for unity in this way. In your humility, I know that's not easy. Of course, in 2021, the biggest thing that threatens our unity is not theological, but actually it's political. Brothers and sisters, let me, like Paul, beg of you, appeal to you not to let politics divide us in our church. And where, where, wherever there is a clear teaching of the scripture, we ought to agree on that. We, we, we should strive for unity in mind and thought. But so much of politics actually is not a matter in the realm of right and wrong. So much of politics is in the realm of wisdom. Things are changing in Hong Kong, and how we deal with these changes actually is, not, is a matter of wisdom. The scripture does not tell us exactly how to react or how to do uh, uh, certain things. And also, politics, as important as it is, is not at the core of who we are as church, as Christians. We are not brothers and sisters in some political ideology. We're not brothers and sisters uh, under the same flag. And we're not uh, brothers and sisters because what we think about the U.S. or China. We're brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. That's what makes us one. And that is the most important part of how, who you and I are. If that's true, church, could I ask you to make the conscious effort to love one another? To love one another. First Corinthians chapter 13. I mean, that's the most famous chapter in this letter. 
It's a letter about love. It's not a surprise, is it? That in this divided church, Paul devotes a whole section to say, love one another, bear with one another, be kind and patient with one another, to honor one another. And I want to add another instruction from 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers multitude of sins. Yeah, Peter means that when we love each other, we do not make every issue of every little thing, every little sin. Love covers multitude of sins. You do this already with your friends. If, you're, if you have a spouse, if you're married, you do this with, with your spouse. Right? You don't make, there are certainly issues important enough to argue about, but you don't make issue of everything, every little difference, every little opinion, every sin. You forgive them. You try to understand them. You reconcile. That's how families work. That's what love means. That's what it means to be in this community, and that's what it means to be a family in Christ that loves each other. Friends, Can we do that in this climate as a church? Can we love one another? Because love covers over multitude of sins. And in striving for unity, we also need to look beyond our leaders, our parties, our differences, what we think are important often. There are many, many sources of quarrel in First Corinthians. I mean, in in the church in Corinth, but one of them was their division along the leaders. Some said they followed Paul. Paul was the founder of the church in Corinth. It makes sense. Some then said, "I follow Apollos." If you read Acts 18, you'll see there Apollos was the the, the pastor who just came after um, Paul. He was a man of impeccable character and background. Uh, this is what Luke writes in Acts 18 about him. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, he was a learned man with thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. Alexandria was the learning center of that ancient world, famous for its library, and it seems like Apollos was a learned man. He knew the scripture really well, and he spoke with eloquence and power. And actually, people in Corinth, they were attracted to that. They said, actually, oh, that, that Paul, I mean, he, he was good, but Apollos, he really knows what he's talking about. He has this eloquence when he speaks. And so they started following Apollos, saying, I follow Apollos. And some then said, I follow Cephas. Cephas is the name of uh, uh, Peter. It's the Jewish name of Peter. Of course, Peter might have attracted some of those people who maybe didn't want to change very much. Because I don't know if you know, uh, Peter, if you look, for, for example, in Galatians 2 and other places, Peter uh, often sort of demanded obedience to the Jewish law, even to the Gentiles, in the early part of his ministry. So he might have attracted people who didn't want change, who wanted uh, Christianity to look more like Judaism, maybe. Maybe he was just, uh, people were impressed by his close ties with Jesus. But some started to say, he's my pastor, I want to follow him. And then finally some people said, well, I follow Christ. Well, I don't know if you can detect the little bit of note of condescension, right? Like, oh, you follow all these other people, I follow Jesus. 
He's my pastor. He's the one that I follow. As if following Apollos and Paul and all these other people, you can't follow Jesus. Of course, they're all trying to point to Jesus, and you can't follow Jesus following all these other pastors too. But they were divided in these ways. Sadly, though, I want to, say, I want to point out the fact that actually in church history, sadly, there are pastors and church leaders who did not succeed that well in pointing people to Jesus. They often pointed to themselves. They mistake the loyalty to them with loyalty to Jesus. Such, I mean, that's spiritual abuse, misuse of authority. All spiritual leaders must point to Jesus. And we are just mere signposts. And when we abuse, when spiritual leaders abuse their authorities like this, often it causes great pain and disillusionment, especially if the pastor turns out to be a terrible person, which we all are. We all are terrible people in need of God's grace. Friends, watch out for church leaders who point to themselves as the final authority rather than to Jesus. This is one of the reasons why Niels and I, whenever we preach, we ask you to take out your Bibles, to read through what we're preaching from, because we don't want you ultimately to walk away impressed with us. We want you to walk away challenged by, admonished by, encouraged by the Scripture itself, the Bible itself. We want you to know that we all sit under the same authority of Jesus Christ and authority of the Bible. We point to Christ. We point to the Scripture in this way. And this is why we also do series like this. So I'm not just constantly picking and choosing the topics that we want to, I want to address. We go through a book like this in 1 Corinthians, all of it, so that you hear from God's Word that's addressing you, the issues that are important to God addressing you. Spiritual leaders are mere signposts. Though wildly popular in his own days, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a humble man. John the Baptist, I mean, imagine, he's out in the desert, middle of nowhere. Thousands of people are flocking to him to be baptized by this man. And when they came to him, they asked him, are you the Messiah? And this is his answer. No, I am not. Jesus is the Messiah, and he must increase and I must decrease. All leaders must have had that attitude. Jesus must be known. Jesus must be honored. Jesus must be glorified. And we are mere servants who point to Jesus. So watch out for leaders who point to themselves. But this church in Corinth, it wasn't actually divided because Apollos and and Paul and people were pointing to themselves. They didn't do that. They were pointing to Jesus. But we actually do have this tendency, don't we? When we see some strengths of our leaders, uh, the people that we really admire, we actually start to follow them instead of the people that they're pointing to. Jesus that they point to, we're drawn to them. I have this tendency myself. I think of somebody like Tim Keller. When he writes, I take notes. <laughs> I find just that, that, that he, he is very incisive in, in um, analyzing the culture, speaking uh, the gospel to the culture. Uh, so he does it so well. And, and I find myself tempting, uh, tempted to just sort of 
listen to everything that he says, and I need to remind myself, no, I follow Jesus. And of course, if I said to Tim Keller, Tim, I follow you, of course he would be horrified <laughs> because he would say, no, don't follow me. I'm mere servant who points to Jesus. Follow him. And I hope you see and appreciate some of the strengths of the staff. You know, Ariel's great voice or Niels's clarity when he preaches on all these different, th- different ways that are strengths. Uh, but, I, but I hope you'll see the strengths and see Jesus. And I hope you'll do the same with our weaknesses. I hope you aren't surprised when you find me, other leaders in the church centers, people who do terrible things, people who hurt others, because I hope you know that we are mere servants. We point to Jesus, look beyond the leaders to see Christ. And that's not just the spiritual leaders, it's the church as well. Churches should not demand such blind loyalty. You should be members of the church. You should be serving others. But your loyalty is not to a church. Your loyalty is to Jesus. Jesus whom you meet and love. And each denomination has their strengths and weaknesses as well. And no matter which denomination that you count yourself in, I hope you are meeting and loving Jesus. Because that's what the church is about. That's what leaders are about. And that, 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 that's what churches are about. And that's what the denomination, any denomination, should be about. We're all humble members of the body of Christ. And of course, we can only do that if we are really important. That all these differences, all these strengths are actually, they, they pale in comparison to what's really important. <laughs> that, that, that what's really important is the gospel. And if we are convinced that the gospel really is everything, we can be united, can't we? So Paul uh, points to the gospel in this section. He writes in verse 13, he asks three rhetorical questions. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. Of course Christ is not divided. He came to do the opposite. He came to do the opposite. Uh, He came to unite the world that is so divided. Look around. The world is so divided alongst all sorts of lines, ethnicity, nationality, ideology, gender, uh, socioeconomic class, education backgrounds, or whatever. The world is so divided and so it aches, so it hurts. In our division, we fight. And, but Jesus came to unite us all under his lordship, to make us one humanity under his lordship. So Paul writes in Ephesians 2.15 and on, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. His purpose was to create one humanity. That's part of the gospel. That Jesus came to make us one, uh, to further divide, to put up more walls of hostility among us in the church, is to undo the work of the gospel. Is to, uh, is to tear down the, the walls that Jesus, uh, 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 sorry, put up the walls that Jesus actually tore down. Go back to the gospel. We're one. 
in Christ? Was Paul crucified for you? Of course not. Jesus was crucified for us. The guilt and shame that we carry around, the consequences of our sins, and the penalty ultimately of our sins, it's Jesus who paid it on the cross. If you owe any loyalty to anyone, it is to Jesus. It's through his blood we are forgiven. It's through his blood we're reconciled to God and to one another. It's through his blood we have this inheritance and the hope, that inheritance that can never spoil or fade through Jesus. Remind yourself of the gospel. We owe him everything. And of course, that's why we're also baptized in the name of Jesus. Baptism is a powerful symbol of our unity because it's a power, powerful symbol of, our, uh, of the gospel that we've received. Paul writes in verse 14 that he baptized uh, Crispus and Gaius. And then verse 16, they go, oh yes, I've also baptized uh, the household of Stephanus. And then he says, I don't quite remember if I baptized anybody else. Well, why is that in the Bible? Why is it in the scripture in this way? It makes a point, though, doesn't it? What he's saying is, actually, it's not important who I baptized. It's not important who I baptized. What's important is that you were baptized in the name of Jesus. I am not like Paul, uh, but in my forgetfulness, I often forget who I baptized. (laughs) And sometimes I've I've heard at least one of you say, you baptized me. Oh, yes, I remember. (laughs) I baptized you. And I hope you're not offended by that because, you know, in some ways, it is not important that I baptized you. But it is important, supremely important, that that you were baptized in the name of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That when you were baptized, you received the symbol of your rebirth. You're dying and rising again and being joined together with other believers as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what's important. It doesn't matter who baptized you. It doesn't matter who, uh, uh, who married you or whatever. Your loyalty ultimately is to Jesus because you have received everything in Jesus Christ. Go back to the gospel. And because who we are is in Jesus is the most important thing about us, we can be united as one, which begs the question, how important is the gospel to you? How important is this good news, this identity that you received in Christ to you? Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, But whatever were gains to me, now I consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Your achievements, your looks, your political affiliation, um, your education, or your relationships, all the things that you think are important, I'm sure are important. But I hope you will be able to say with Paul, in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord, this is nothing. All that is nothing. In fact, if it gets in the way, it's garbage. It's rubbish. And if we can all say that, if at the core of our being is Christ, and that's what we value the most, 
if we can say Christ is everything, church, we will continue to be one. But let's pray that the gospel will be everything as we close. Lord, we come to you as sinners, sinners who continue to build up the walls that you have broken down, the walls of hostility, these divisions that has no place in the church. Lord, help us to count ourselves dead in Christ Jesus. Help us to count ourselves alive in Christ Jesus. Help us to be Christians who value our identity in you as the first and foremost, as everything. And Lord, help us to love then our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to strive for unity, to look beyond our strengths and weaknesses and our differences and preferences. preferences. And Lord, help us to be one in Jesus, that the world would know your great love in the way that we love one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.